Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. Everybody, good morning. I am Dave Burden. I'm uh, the pastor of the Creep Hall Congregation, and we'll be heading out to the Creep Hall Congregation right after this. Sarah, uh, Holly, why don't you come on up and uh, open up the word for us this morning. We're going to be in the uh, Gospel of Mark this morning in this encounter uh, with this woman and Jesus. All right, Mark 7, 24 through 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. Uh, Father, uh, teach us. Holy Spirit, apply this word to our hearts. Um, like we just sang, uh, what a beautiful name, what a powerful name is your name. Uh, we open this in your name and we surrender to you uh, as King and as the Lord. Um, so Lord, uh, lead us now, uh, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so um, have you ever been, I th I, 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 this is kind of a rhetorical question, but can you think of a time in your life where you've been in a position where you need something from someone and you're not confused about that? You know that they have something uh, that you need, and you also know this, that you know that you have really no position or no place to ask that thing of them. But you know that this person, they can actually move the needle for you. Like if they would just kind of get on board with what you were hoping that they would do, or they would get on board with what you were hoping would happen, then that something could happen, right? They can make it happen. When you think about that, I want you to think about how much energy goes into how you actually engage that person. Like, how many times have you pounded out a text and then like, you know, the erase, the erase, the erase, or pounded out the email and erased it and rewrote it and rewrote it? I remember being on the phone one time with a B-billionaire gentleman uh, who I found myself almost immediately on the phone with who had found out that I was interested in trying to work to purchase this big piece of land. It was actually a Midtown thing. And all of a sudden, I found myself on the phone with this guy, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, pick every single word so incredibly carefully because this is the moment, right? Like, if I can just say it right, 
then I will unlock his generosity. Well, this story that Sarah just read for us, this encounter has much of that same feel because this is a woman who is desperate and she is completely not confused about the fact that Jesus is the only one who can provide her with the help that she needs. And so how is Jesus going to meet her in this need? So four things. There's four points. It's going to take like 70 minutes. <laughs> Kidding. Four things, hopefully quickly. The problem, okay, if you're note-taking type, the problem, the surprise, the response, and then this one's a little, I couldn't figure out how to say this. Us dogs, now kids, okay? The problem, the surprise, the response, and then us dogs, now kids. So let me give you a little bit of context uh, it says there, Jesus left that place. So where was he leaving to go into this vicinity of Tyre, right? He left a region uh, to go into this region. And why? It says there, he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it. So he was going someplace where he did not want to be found. He was, had been ministering at that point um, completely within the context of Israel's traditional borders up until this point, all of his ministry had been uh, to the Jewish people. And so he left that place, presumably, we get that sense from the text, to get a break, that I'm actually going there to get some relief from all the things that are being demanded of me and asked of me. Think about, if you've seen What About Bob, if you haven't, that's a problem in your life, and you need to go spend your afternoon watching What About Bob. Right, Dr. Leo Marvin, remember his month a year that he goes up to wherever Nantucket, and he's going up there because I am trying to get relief from everything that everyone is asking of me, and he has all these strict rules about what he will and won't do on his break, and who breaks the rules? Bob, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Leo Marvin! You know, on the mast of the ship, screaming to him, right? That's Jesus, picture that. I mean, maybe Jesus and Dr. Leo Marvin are not the same guy, but he's going to get a break from the pressures of the ministry. He's been around and giving a ton to the Jewish people. And right before this encounter with this woman, he's been engaging with a bunch of Jewish experts, teachers of the law, all about ceremonial cleanliness laws and their hearts. And they've been challenging Jesus because they were always doing this, challenging Jesus about the application of the law that he gave, right? Because some of his disciples had been eating with unclean hands, unwashed hands. And so this woman has a problem, but the people that Jesus have just left have had a problem. The Jewish Pharisees, they had a problem as well. And their problem was this. They had all these traditions that they created, all these ways that they interpreted and applied the law that went way beyond its intent and way missed the heart of the law. And then they took all of these traditions and all these ways that they kind of worked the law and applied that to themselves and to other people so that they could feel better than everyone else. That was their problem. And so these disciples who were eating with unclean hands, unwashed hands, meant unclean food, meant that they were an unclean person. And Jesus, he's just come off this intense confrontation with them where he confronts them, he says, you have let go. You are completely off, off base. You have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding to human traditions. See, the problem for the Jewish 
establishment, the Jewish religious establishment, the leader of the day, was this. Their identity and their sense of rightness before God, their value. When we say identity, it means their value or their sense of belonging or their sense of peace or their sense of confidence was in them keeping their customs, them keeping their way. Their identity was in being this kind of certain type of Jew who got it all right on the outside, which made them all right in their own minds. But Jesus tells them and his disciples were with these Jewish leaders at the time that what's broken, what's fundamentally broken about you is not you not getting it right on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's the heart. That's the place that's broken. That's the place that evil flows from. This is what he says to them. He went on, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Or sorry, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, greed, adultery, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He's saying, you guys are so worried about the outside, but I want to talk about what's going on on the inside. You honor me with your lips. You do all the right things on the outside, but your hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. You basically just teach your own human principles. He leaves that interaction. Thank you for giving me some some time to set up that context. He leaves that interaction with those self-right people, those people who judge themselves by their own rules. He leaves that interaction and goes to this place, into a home to take a breather, and he's going, this is the opposite of cheers, right? He's not trying to go where everybody knows his name. He's trying to go where nobody knows his name. And he encounters a woman who also has a problem. He goes into this pagan land. It's very different than the land he just left, full of worship of other gods, Right? It was a notoriously unclean place. This is a place where Jewish people, Jewish rabbis like Jesus would not have gone. And yet, it says there, he could not keep his presence secret. She goes and seeks him out. And who is she? She has a very different problem than the Jewish religious leaders. She was a Gentile woman who uh, it's, it's hard to even express um, just that fact alone, how hard it would have made for her to approach Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, right? She's a Gentile woman who's in great need, but she has no pedigree for getting an audience with Jesus. She's Gentile, which means she's unclean, and she's outside of the covenant, right? This is Ephesians 2, 12. Remember that at one time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That's her. She's Gentile. She's unclean. She's outside the covenant. She's a woman, which in that day and age, we could launch into a whole sermon about that. Um, but that was a strike against her. And then she was coming uh, to have Jesus deal with her daughter, not her son. This is kind of the the three strikes going against her in coming to Jesus. 
for those of you whose brackets are busted. Um, this would be like a freshman undergrad uh, from the University of North Carolina finding Coach K on his only day off before the Final Four and asking him for courtside seats behind Duke's bench. Okay? That's what's happening right now. And if you're not into the sports, ask somebody about what that just meant. <laughs> right? She's got all the strikes going against her. Plus, the Jewish mindset of the day was that a Savior was to come before the Jews, and not just first for the Jews, but somewhat exclusively for the Jews. So that if you were a Gentile and you wanted to be in on the goods and get what Jesus could do for you, that's cool, but you got to convert to being a Jew, right? There's no good for the Gentiles in staying a Gentile. So if you want what's coming to the Jews, then you got to become a Jew yourself. So the Jewish religious practice of the day had gotten away. They had really no sense of the scope of that original covenant given to Abraham that you would be a blessing to all nations. They had a really narrow way in which they thought that was going to happen. And Jesus, even in this very story, is blowing that up. She had a problem. She was less than. She was unclean. She was a total, utter outsider. And regardless of all of that, she shamelessly finds Jesus, throws, him at her, uh, throws herself at his feet, and begs him repeatedly. It says there that she asked him, you know, she begged him, but the word there is literally over and over. It's like someone standing at the door and knocking like, please, 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 please. Those of you who have kids, you know what this feels like. <laughs> I'm like, golly, stop. I heard you the first time. Heal my daughter. That's the problem. Well, here's the surprise. Hang on. Chin straps here, right? Jesus' response to this woman. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is right to not take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I'll just let that sit for a second. <laughs> Jesus calls her a dog. Now, it would be really easy in this point of the sermon, in this cultural moment that we're in, to kind of take the off-ramp here, all right? And I'm inviting you because we titled this sermon series, Be Curious, In Search of the Real Jesus, all right? And we've talked about the fact that it's real easy to kind of especially if we stay out of the scriptures and stay up here in my own head, kind of begin to worship or serve a Jesus of our own imaginations, of our own makings. But uh, I'm encouraging you right now, be curious about what's happening in this story. Because if cancel culture applies to Jesus, Jesus just got canceled, right? He just got unfollowed hard right now. And it appears here, that Jesus shames her in referring to her this way. And it is not untrue that in that day that sometimes the term dog, a different actual Greek word, but sometimes the term dog was used 
in that day in certain contexts by self-right Jews in order to refer to Gentiles and not in an affectionate way. But that doesn't entirely take the sting out of it, does it? Like we'd love to kind of entirely explain this away or kind of soften all of the edges or provide some miraculous cultural key that makes this not sound quite the way it sounds. You know, I'd love to just kind of write Jesus off as like, he's, he's my crazy uncle who's not PC at the Thanksgiving table, right? Remember, let's, we're going to be curious. We, we, we want to we see Jesus and what he really is saying here. But it's true that Jesus doesn't always respond the way we like or we think he should. Like that should actually be a comfort to you that you know you're actually coming to the real Jesus is he doesn't respond always the way you like or think he should. That's a good sign. Sometimes Jesus goes straight to the point in an uncomfortable fashion, so we have to ask the question, what is the point of him saying this? And this is, this is kind of an aside, but I would encourage you to think about it. Sometimes I get so concerned about the delivery, I miss the message. I'm so committed to feeling a certain way. I want you to make me feel a certain way that I miss the understanding of what actually is going on right now. We have to ask the question, this is a, one of the commentators put it this way, I thought it was clever and a very good way of thinking about it. Is this a put-down or is this a parable? Is Jesus insulting this woman? Well, we would have to, if we said yes, that means Jesus is sinning against this woman, and then we would actually have to contradict tons of other places in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.1, which says, He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's just one principle. That's like, put that in your little hat of thinking going forward that if you find something that's confusing about Jesus, go to the rest of Scripture and see if that answers what you're confused about. So Jesus is not sinning against this woman right now. He's not insulting this woman. He's, he's not sinning against her. He's searching out her heart through a one-line story, a one-line metaphor, a one-line parable. He's trying to get to know what's going on inside of you. So it is true, in, in this culture, let's talk about dogs for a second. In this culture, most dogs were not house pets, all right? Most dogs were wild dogs, roaming the street, right? Almost like wolves. There were no emotional support animals in this culture. If you have one, I'm not judging you. I'm just simply saying, this is a different time, right? Like I saw a commercial the other day on TV where they said, your dog should eat like you do. And it had all this, like, it was like, your dog gets filet mignon, and your dog gets chicken, and your dog, and it was all this, like, it was real, like, human food. <laughs> and they were like, it was all had to be refrigerated. And I was thinking, you would have to have your own refrigerator for your dog that was as big as the refrigerator for your, for your own family just to feed your dog. That is not where we're at. But there are some important clues in the language here because Jesus uses a particular word for dog. 
And it's a Greek word and a diminutive form of that word, which actually refers to it like we would use the word puppy, little dog. Like a puppy. So let me read it again. Um, Let first the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the puppies. Okay? And now that's still, you're kind of like, that's great, Dave. (laughs) Puppies, oh, they're so cute, right? But the woman seems to pick up on this. She seems to understand, and we have to respect her, right? We're, We're not the ones having the encounter with Jesus. She is. So she seems to pick up on this since she goes along and talks about being the little dog under the table. Because the little dog under the table isn't a wild, scavenging, worthless, mangy animal outside. This is a dog in the home. This is more akin to a valuable member. It's getting closer to what we know today, a valuable member of the family, right? We have a friend. She's in this room. Uh, Her family would take their dog to McDonald's and get Happy Meals for their dog. Like, we're talking about that kind of, you're in the family, right? Don't judge that. So he uses a unique word here for dogs, but, but still, why this metaphor? That's great, okay, he kind of softened it a little bit there, puppies. Why this metaphor? Why talking about even eating? They're not eating right now. They're not having a meal. It's not like he turned a, a moment into a teachable moment. He's the one who brings up this, this one-line parable. Why is he talking about eating? Why is he talking about little kids? Why is he talking about puppies? Well, Jesus, I believe, is using this metaphor, this mini parable, to describe a priority here. And really, his priority here. His priority in this time, in his life, in his earthly ministry. Paul sums it up in Romans 1. 16, where he says the gospel is to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And we know because of where we sit in redemptive history that it was going to go to the Gentile through the Jew. Paul wrote that the person who was only considered with Jewish people, right? He was the one who was absolutely commandeered on the Damascus road, blinded, and then sent to the Gentiles. So Jesus is talking about a priority here. And yet, this woman is saying, I, w- I want the fast pass, right? If you've ever been to Universal and waited in their lines, right? I want to be able to go around that process of Jew first, then Gentile, and I want to skip to the head of the line, and I want it right now. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a priority here. The children of the covenant. The Jewish people, I'm here to reach them. I'm here to feed them. They're going to eat first. And then what is theirs can be going and be shared to the puppies. And the other way around would not be right. Like it's cool if the dogs are eating, the puppies are eating the same things as the kids. But if my friend's parents would have gone and gotten McDonald's for the dog and then not for the kids, what would the kids do? I know what my kids do, but I go even and get, you know, 
Hugh babies. I, dropped, I brought Hugh babies home for Hudson the other night. You would have thought, I literally told Ford he has no inheritance in our home. And he's like, what? Right? Jesus is saying there's a priority and here's the order. And Jesus, by using this story, he is seeing how are you going to handle my authority to prioritize who gets what when? Now we're in it. We can, we can kind of leave the puppy comment behind because we're actually dealing with the real issue now, right? Because for me, you know what I want? I want Jesus to prioritize me as much me as I prioritize me, right? Me loves me some me. And me loves me some Jesus who loves me some me the way that me loves me some me. A lot of me's, yeah, that's the point. A lot of me's. Don't miss the fact that a little girl just said that. You think I'm joking? That's serious. She gets it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Man, you're coming with me to Creve Hall. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's tough for us, right? As a rights-obsessed, equal opportunist culture. This makes me, this might make me bristle more than the puppy comment, right? Oh, wait, what? You're saying I'm not the priority? You're saying I'm not first? Remember, Jesus just came out of an interaction with the Pharisees who believed if we do it right, we get it right, we got the right pedigree, got the right inherited national identity. If we keep all the laws, right, we do it all right, then we're first in line. Then we're the ones in the master's house. And when Jesus tries to explain that interaction with the Pharisees to the disciples, they don't, the Pharisees don't get it. The disciples don't get it. He literally looks at them and says, why are you so dull? Do you not understand what's going on here? So Jesus, in saying, hey, let the children first eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He's saying, do you think like they do? Do you think like the Jews? Like the Pharisees? Like my disciples? Are you dull like them? Are you slow on the uptake? Is that how you think this works? And yet the woman, she's not slow at all, is she? Nor does she seem offended. She's not offended. She has a choice in that moment, right? That's how I would argue I'm, Jesus isn't shaming her because she doesn't act shameful. She acts shameless in this moment. If you don't know the difference between those two, you should think about it right? She doesn't act prideful. Her pride doesn't get hurt because of what he says to her, but she also doesn't go, oh, you're right, grovel, right? She doesn't gripe at his comment, nor does she grovel at his comment. She goes for it. She's shameless. She's not prideful, not shameful. She's shameless. 
because she understands, you're right. I am a foreigner. I am unclean. I am on the outside. I have nothing to bring to you. I am here and you alone by nothing but sheer grace alone can actually bring salvation to my daughter and bring salvation to me. This is faith at work in this woman. And because she actually gets that, she sees Jesus right and sees herself right, she can actually be in a place to receive what Jesus wants to give to her, which is the response. She was not offended. She did not take offense, but she took a chance. She chose to not get frustrated or triggered, but instead expressed faith in the heart of who was in front of her. And her focus in that moment wasn't on her status, it wasn't on her deservedness, but it was on one thing, her need and his ability and his heart to meet it. She didn't see herself as equal to Jesus or entitled. She knew, I am a Gentile. I am standing outside of the covenant promises. I have no claim. And yet, she does something that the Pharisees didn't do in the story prior and his disciples aren't even doing yet. What does she call him? Lord. Lord. Kairos. Savior. Lord. She shows him deep respect and acknowledgement. I know who you are. You're Lord. And because you're Lord, you see it? I, you can give me whatever you want to give me. Whatever order you want to give it to me. It's like what we talked about last week, Lord of the Sabbath. Even you, you're Lord of the Sabbath. You're Lord of it all. And so, Lord, I'm good with the leftovers. And if, unless you're in my family, more of my kids' food is on the ground than it's in their mouths, right? I'm good with the leftovers, and I'm simply thankful to be in your house. This is where we sing, better is one day in your courts. But we shouldn't sing that song anymore because we've sang it way too much. I'm kidding. Oh, man. And she's literally saying this, cool, cool. Master, Lord, feed the kids. I'll take the crumbs. Because guess what? Crumbs at the master's table aren't just any crumbs because you have to be in the master's house to actually get the crumbs from the master's table. You see what she's saying? I'm in the master's house. <laughs> I'm in. I'm here. I'm in your presence. I can receive whatever you have for me. Anything, just a crumb for the master is a grace and a gift and more powerful than a feast in the house of fools. And so she falls at his feet and she worships him. To fall at someone's feet in that day is to just surrender. I'm gonna worship you. It's, it's to have a humble and a broken and a desperate heart. It's like David in Psalm 51, right? After being caught in murder and adultery, King David, the king of the Jews, the Jew of the Jews, the man after God's own heart who broke the covenant and therefore was outside of the covenant at that point because of his sin. What did David say in Psalm 51? My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God, you won't despise me. That's not your heart towards me. You don't despise me when I have a broken heart, when I have a humble spirit, when I'm contrite. That's her response. 
to him saying, hey, puppy, get in line. You're in the master's house. And what is his response? For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Matthew's account of this literally says, oh, woman, how great is your faith. That's what I see in this reply. I see faith. I see faith in a Gentile woman that I don't see in the most trained men who understood the Jewish law inside and out and my disciples who were hanging out with me every single day. Wow. Wow. Little girl, what a response. Look at the faith that's at work in you. You can go. The demon has left your daughter. So fourth point, four minutes. Us dogs, now kids. So what about us? How, you should be asking this question, I should be asking this question, I ask this question a lot of me. How do I come to the Lord? How do I come to him? And in particular, how do I come to him when I'm in need? Both, those are two separate questions, but how do I come to him, period? How do I come to him when I'm in need because this woman's in need? Well, if you're in Christ this morning, because I'm not going to presume that everyone in this room is a Christian, right? If you're in Christ this morning, we can approach knowing this, that the, the biggest problem, because we've all got a ton of problems, everyone's worn out from them, right? But the biggest problem that we have has already been dealt with by Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection, and you are in the master's house. Your problems will tell you that you're outside of the master's house. They'll whisper to you, this means that you're not in. That's not true. You're in the master's house. And this woman, she had a problem that she understood that no amount of, of spiritual posturing or pedigree was the thing that was going to pull the levers. And so she came empty-handed to the Lord. And we can do it the same way, but we come as sons and daughters secure in our Abba Father's love, right? We can run into his presence, not as dogs, but as kids. We're in the family. I'm in the master's house. So when you're in need, you just have to ask yourself, am I, am I approaching trying to get into the master's house or am I approaching from being in the master's house? <laughs> it's a different, different thing. Some of the challenges, you know, sometimes I know I'm in the master's house, but I act like I'm not in the master's house. Like I've got to do something to get back into the master's house. That's acting more like a non-Christian. Because if you're not in Christ this morning, then you are either doing probably one of two things. You're either approaching him on the basis of your own effort, of your own merit, of your own cleanliness like the Pharisees. I'm working real hard to kind of shine myself up so the master will give me what I want the master to give me. That's pride, right? Or I'm staying away from the master because of my shame. I know I can't clean myself up. I know I can't get it right. And I know you don't want me in your house until I do. Well, I would invite you, if you're not a believer this morning or if you're acting like one this morning, even if you are, the Lord invites you to stop and take your cues from that faith-filled woman who decided, I'm not going to come to the Lord as an equal. I'm not going to get 
get frustrated and let my pride get frustrated in this moment, my view of me get frustrated, but I'm going to approach him knowing I am loved by him. I am his beloved. So I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to be a kid or a puppy or whatever and know that it's only by God's grace that I'm in the master's house, but I'm in the master's house. And so I can come to the master as Savior and Lord like David did, or like this woman did with a broken and contrite heart and knowing that he will not despise, nor will he shame you. But he receives you and he will give you what is good for you. Scripture says, even us who are evil, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. So if my kid is asking for fish, I'm not going to give him a snake. If my kid is asking for bread, I'm not going to give him a stone. He will give you what is best for you. Encounters like this always give us an opportunity to examine our hearts. And this was, the, this was the final thing I'll say. I know, I know I'm in the master's house. I know that. I know I'm saved by faith. I know that everything I have is an act of his grace. But I have this tendency to not want to live that way. I have this gravity in me <laughs> that does not want to really say that's true. I want to live in relationship like the Pharisees do to Jesus. I want to live in relationship to him in pride, not like the woman in need who is shameless. And Jesus invites us. I mean, I, I had this experience this week. I had a few encounters this week that left me feeling so insecure and so um, <clears throat> questioning, is my place in the family secure? You ever had those encounters? Like just one conversation that you feel like, whoa, okay. And so is, is, my, is my place secure? It feels so fragile right now. And it's an opportunity in that moment. I do one of two things. I can either exercise faith like we see God doing in this woman, or I get furious, I get angry about my position being challenged, or I get frantic trying to prove that it shouldn't be. Jesus invites us, don't go down either of those roads. Don't get furious and don't get frantic. Repent of that pride and don't get lost in the shame cave, but come shamelessly to him, not on the basis of your good, but knowing that he is good. He's saying, come on, come to my table and receive what I have for you, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for its truth. Um, Keep teaching us, Lord, uh, the lesson of this passage uh, is, is great. And in some ways, though, it's still just so very simple. Uh, we're in your home because you've done something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you, uh, Lord, uh, for giving us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for giving us yourself. In your name.